you have a Bible with you, could you please turn to Haggai chapter 2? I'd like to read from verses 1 to 9. Haggai chapter 2, commencing at verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word which I covenanted with with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give you peace, says the Lord of hosts. Please join me in prayer. Our eternal God, as we come to thy word, we pray that thou would minister to our hurting hearts, that we may know that thou art a God who is with us, that we do not need to fear tomorrow, that thou will give us peace. I pray that thy spirit would minister to each and every heart here. That we may find our hope, our strength in thee. Not in our self, not in our circumstances, but in thee, our God. Lord, I pray that thou would help me to teach the Bible accurately and clearly. For the honor and glory of thy name and for the upbuilding of thy people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are gathered here to remember the good times, give thanks to the Lord for what he has done through the church. And also to say goodbye to one another 
at least in this local church gathering. Your grief and your pain is real. Our emotions are running high. And the reality of the situation may well be overwhelming to you. It's real and it's hard. It's like a death and the grief that you will face in the future. I want to acknowledge that pain this morning and let's not make light of it. I honestly feel for you all. But I also want to encourage you to remember one thing as we close this chapter in the church. The Lord will continue to be with you. The Lord will continue to uphold you. And that is because of his ever abiding presence you and I can face tomorrow. And we do not need to fear. The reason I say this because often as the people of God, we can get very discouraged when things like this happen, when change like this takes place. Think about it. What you've been hoping for hasn't come to pass. What you've been praying for hasn't come about. And all our dreams, all our desires seem like a passing cloud. And so you can lose heart. You can feel numb. And that grief can be overwhelming. So what actually happens then is... In the time of grief, you look back. You look back to the past and you start to compare what you've got now with the former situations, with the good old days. But if you live in the past, it usually stunts our spiritual vitality in the present. And we become... Well, almost like in a state of just floating around. Dear brothers and sisters, I want us to recognize the power of the gospel to endure, to sustain you, to help you in your spiritual pilgrimage as you seek to serve the Lord in the future. God has not forsaken us. God has not forsaken you. He has promised to be with you. That is part of God's covenant. I will be their God. They shall be my people and I will dwell amongst them. And that is the promise of God to us.
So how are you to face what seems to be an increasingly desperate and horrible situation? How are you to go on and walk in the way of truth and think biblically about the situation that you find yourself in? I'd like to draw your attention to that passage in Haggai chapter 2. When Haggai prophesied, you may recall that things were at a low ebb. They'd come back to the promised land, but it looked like not the Garden of Eden, what it was meant to look like, but it looked like, uh, well, it looked like uh, Sydney. (laughs) I thought I was going to hear a cheer on that one. You wait till Wednesday night, though. But everything that was meant to be happening, it it was not happening. And the place was barren. They were meant to build the temple of God. They started to build the temple of God, but very quickly they were discouraged. That's what we read about in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2. Another word comes from Haggai to encourage them to press on, to do the work of God. And in these verses, chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, it enjoins us to consider the magnificence of God's glory and his promises in a situation that you find yourself in now, when everything looks hopeless for the future. And I pray that you will find some encouragement in some way from this passage as we claim the promise that God will be with us, that God, through his word, will speak to us. I'd like to look at this passage under three headings. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, the past temple and its glory. In verses 4 and 5, the present temple and its glory. And then verses 6 to 9, the future temple and its glory. I'm not going to be expounding every single verse here, but rather picking up on some themes for the circumstances we find ourselves in. Firstly, then, the past temple and its glory in verses 1 to 3. Now, as you read these verses and as you read chapter 1, you get the impression that, you know, things were, well, chapter 1, they were going okay for a season, And then everything came to a screaming halt. In the passing of time, their enthusiasm of serving the Lord in doing the work of the Lord had diminished. They were despondent. I often say, when you read the scripture, put yourself in the passage. Imagine that you were there watching what was going on. Think about this, they've come back to the land and God says rebuild the temple and yet this temple, Solomon's temple, had been you know, lying in ruins for over 60 years. And they're told to rebuild it. No mechanical aids, no tractors, bulldozers, no cranes to lift the... The stones and so on. 
none of that taking place, just get on with the job. And you can see why the people needed to be encouraged for that to take place. But it seems at the same time that the temple builders also were always reminded by the older folk that Solomon's temple was so much better. You could imagine what was taking place, the older folk And they must have been really old. They were saying, you know, we remember the old temple, Solomon's temple. It was glorious. Not like this is going to be like. And they were discouraged. Look at verse 3 and you catch the hint of it. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is it not in your eyes as nothing? So you've got these old people saying, oh, remember the good old days. Remember how wonderful it really was. The interesting thing, we know that some 16 years before this event, they tried to rebuild the temple. And guess what? It came to nothing. And yet they had the audacity to say, well, we remember the wonderful old temple. And what you're building now is not going to be anything like that. Past disappointment, listen carefully, past disappointment was making them feel depressed about the present and the future in doing the work of God. You know, Solomon, he was probably the richest man in the world. Money was no problem. They could build the temple. Well, what are they doing now? They had none of that. But what is quite interesting for these older people to say how wonderful the temple was. You know your Bibles well enough to know that the glory of Solomon's temple wasn't so glorious for these older people at all. Because it had been plundered again and again and again throughout the years. In Rehoboam's time... In Joash's time, then in 597 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, what does it say? 2 Kings 14 tells us he removed all the treasures of the temples of the Lord and took away all the gold articles that Solomon had for the temple of the Lord. So the temple really wasn't glorious, but they were making it really glorious. And that was stunting them from doing, the younger people, from doing the work of the Lord. That's often what can happen when we look to the past and glorify the past. What was the problem? It was the unfavorable comparison between the present and the past and that undermined any future perseverance of the Lord. Think that one through. And I sometimes wonder if that's been the case in our own denomination. And I think we need to be careful of painting such a picture of the Christian past that isn't true. 
And I believe that Reformed Christians particularly, because we love church history, we love studying revivals, and that's good. I encourage you to do that. But what often happens, we can compare ourselves and we can say to ourselves, oh, if we just lived in those days, if we could just see revival take place, well, everything would be different. If we could see a wonderful moving of the Spirit of God, well, you know, it would be like heaven on earth. I'm not a church historian, but I have read enough church history to know that in the midst of revival, there's Satan causing chaos as well. I've often heard people, the older folk in PRC, dress up the past as if it was heaven on earth. That's bearing false witness. We had wonderful days in the past and we do and we have acknowledged that and been given, given thanks to the Lord for the wonderful things the Lord has done through the church and the denomination in the past. But we were sinners. We made mistakes. And it wasn't heaven on earth. If we are going to live in the past, we're going to be stunted for the future. But at the same time, if we can bag, if we can exalt the, the past to a place where it wasn't, be very careful of doing the, same, the other thing at the other end. That you put down the past and say, well, what's come of the church? What's happened? And that too would be to despise the work of God. We need to have a balance and a true perspective. Let us recognize the work of God in the life of the church over many decades. Let us express our thanks to the Lord that he's worked through, that he's changed us, that many people have been converted. The gospel's gone out to several nations. We can rejoice in that. We should rejoice in that. You and I have been shaped, we've been built up, we've been encouraged by the people with whom we have had godly fellowship with under the word of God. Amen. So there's the balance. Give thanks to God, but don't live for the past. And that's what Haggai is really pushing at here, and that leads us to our second point, the present temple and its glory in verses 4 and 5. Put yourself in the passage. The diagnosis of the situation that uh, Haggai's day was in was discouraging it was disheartening and that may apply to each one of us this morning this is an interesting piece of psychology those who are into psychology somebody's down in the dumps like this and I don't think this is the way you always deal with the situation but it was for them 
because this is the inspired and infallible word of God. But the logical consequences is, you know, look, we've got to build the temple. We've got all of these old people on our back. Well, we've been taught today you need to sympathize. You need to even empathize with people. But that's not what we find, not in the way that we usually experience today taking place. Have a look at verse 4 and 5 again. This is mind-blowing. Yet now, better translated, but now. But now, don't let yourself be discouraged. But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, and work. (laughs) Get on with the job. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Grow. The idea is press on. Don't give up. That's God's word for each one of you. Be strong. Press on. Now, do you notice why? This is important. When the Lord gives a command to press on, to be strong, he gives you the grace to do it. And that's what we read in this passage here. How can they all continue? Because verse 4 goes on and says, you know, you work. Here's the point. Here's the reason. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. And that then is expounded more in verse 5. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 13. And you'll be seeing, you will see there, the same promise is given. For I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. I think this is one of the motifs that we don't think too much about, or as, not as much as we would, should. But it is one of the mo- major motifs of all of the scripture that God will be our God that we will be his people, that he will be with us. He will always be with us. Wherever you go, he will be with you. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. We have the same kinds of words given from David to Solomon at the building of the temple. He says, you know, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear or be dismayed. For the Lord, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work of the service of the house of God. And that's the glory of this passage for you and I. Very interesting. Go back further. And what do you have? Joshua. Joshua's going to go into the presence of the the promised land, which the idea is the presence of God. And what is he told? Be strong. 
What is he told? Verse, chapter 1, verse 9. The Lord will be with you, and therefore you will prosper. You will succeed. Why? The Lord is with you. If you know your Bibles well enough, there was an occasion when Moses was told to go out and fight, and Moses says to the Lord, if you don't go with us, we're not going, because, you know, we're going to fail. You will fail if you do not have the presence of God. You will succeed if you know God is with you. And then Haggai unpacks this in verse 5. Verse 4, you know, God is with you. And then he unpacks it and he repeats this encouragement by referring to the Lord's promise at the time of Moses in the Mosaic Covenant. God says to the people of God, you know, I'm going to bring you out of the land of Egypt because I've promised to do that. And then Pharaoh says, who is this God that I should obey him? Oh, Pharaoh, you shouldn't have said that because God's going to show him who's the Lord. He's the king. He's the one who brings his kingdom. And so he says on Mount Sinai, you know, you are a kingdom, a priest, a holy nation. I give you my law. I make covenant with you. And then we get in Exodus chapter, you know, what is it, um, 25 to 31. And then 35 to 40 is about the tabernacle. Now, the truth be probably known that when most of you do your yearly Bible reading, you know, you read Exodus 19 slowly, 20 slowly, you know, up to 24 slowly, and then you get to 25, and you know, it's in overdrive. Because, you know, wow, what's all this about? True? I'm from Sydney, so maybe I'm a little bit lesser in spirituality. What's the point of spending so much time on the tabernacle? Exodus 25, verse 8, and I will let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell among them. Exodus 29, 45 and 46, I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And because, listen carefully, he dwells amongst them. All the tribes around about the tabernacle and he is in the middle. They don't need to fear. And that's exactly what our passage says, isn't it? He says this. The end of verse 5. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. You do not need to fear because God is with you. And that is enhanced as we move to the New Testament. Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always in building the temple. For I, uh, even to the end of the age, I'm going to be with you. 
the writer to the Hebrews, really interestingly, he picks up the same theme as Haggai. And, and, and a lot of uh, uh, what we read in Hebrews is picked up from Haggai. And I'll show you that in a moment. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the second part, it says, for he, he, for he himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then it goes on to talk about, therefore, don't fear. Let's remember the presence of God as we leave this place. Despite the odds, despite sometimes our failure, despite the circumstances, the Lord hasn't left us and he will never forsake you. I can say that on the authority of the word of God. So Haggai chapter 2 verse 5 is so real to you and I living in the new covenant era. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Nothing can happen without the permission of God. He is sovereign. Hold on to that. Hold on to the fact that although others may forsake you, God will not forsake you. Hold on to the fact that, you know, God loved you more before anyone else did. God loves you now more than anyone else does. And God will go on loving you when everyone else has forgotten about you. Hold on to that. But the best is even yet to come, which leads us to our last point, verses 6 to 9. The future temple and its glory. The Bible says we live today we know his presence but also it points to the future and the glory that is going to take place and Haggai talks about this fact that God is going to cause a great shakening and in redemptive history as you read through the Old Testament at each time there is a shaking that God moves in a great and mighty way for example at the exodus of Egypt at Sinai and so on he's revealing his kingship and so we're looking at in verse 6 an immovable kingdom is going to be established how do I know that well, if you turn over, if you will, to Exodus, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, and you will see what the writer there does. Hebrews 12, and he grabs this passage and he applies it to the coming of Christ and the kingdom that is going to be established in verse 26. Yet, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. There's our passage. Now, this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things which are shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, here's his point, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably 
with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. God's kingdom is going to be established. It's going to be immovable. It's going to be victorious. But then he talks about, in verse 7, the desire of the nations. Some translations, the treasures of the nations. But it's singular here in the Hebrew. And it's talking about the desire of the nations. And it's ultimately and preeminently pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who at the end of the age is going to set up his kingdom. It is going to be victorious. And all the prized possessions of the nations... It's, as, it's the imagery of it, at least, is will be brought into the kingdom. He is the center of everything. And so his train will flow. In his train, all the wealth, all the glories of the nation. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says he is the mediator of the covenant. One day, and this is what we always need to hold on to, one day at the return of Christ, his heavenly glory will be revealed. Every single person is going to confess him as Lord. Christ is the victor. Christ is our hope. So we live knowing the presence of God today, but we look forward to that day. And if we don't look forward to that day, somehow we're going to expect heaven on earth, which is not what's meant to happen yet. It's in the future. Think of that glorious day when everyone is going to bow before him and confess him as Lord. That's the note of victory that we have. But then in verse 8 and 9, but particularly verse 9, we have this immovable glory that's going to be revealed. Look what it says here. Verse 9. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord, and in this place I will give you peace, says the Lord. Now, this is interesting. As you read through the New Testament, the glory of the temple of God's being established in who? Jesus. First and foremost, in Jesus, because he is the temple of God. He is the tabernacle of God. And then in the church, we see the glory of God being revealed because it is also the temple of God. Why? Because Jesus is now amongst us. The Lord of glory is here right now. But that is all proleptic, foreshadowing of the greater glory to come. When he returns, and that's the context of the passage, when he returns, he will establish the true temple because he is the temple in the new creation. And we will know the ultimate presence of God and be with him forever. Now, let me just fill that out a little bit further. This temple that God is speaking about is not in some millennium. It's not, you know, some earthly temple now. It's not that. 
It's in the new heavens and new earth. Go back, if you will, to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 10 and the first part of 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. What? Having the glory there. And then he goes on to say in verses 22 to 26. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. Now why? For the glory of God illuminated it. Verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. That's picking up on what Haggai is saying. Can I ask you, can anything excel that? Can I encourage you to think a little bit differently than how we're often told to think? You know, the, somebody so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly use? I think that's a shocker. You are to be heavenly minded to be of earthly use. This is what we are to keep in the forefront of our minds. You know what? You're never going to suffer for the Lord if you get your eyes off this glory to be revealed. Because you want it now. But if you are so certain that God's glory is, and, and this holy temple, and the presence of God in the future is everything, you know what? You're willing to suffer now. You're willing to serve the Lord now. You're willing to do anything for him now because the best is yet to come. The pay may not be much now. The rewards may not be much now. But let me say this, the retirement benefits are out of this world. Do you know Christ as your ultimate desire? Is he the most precious person, the most precious thing in your life? If he is, you will not give up. You will continue to work because you will know the presence of God. Because the Lord's kingdom is an immovable kingdom. And because we have an immovable and unfailing king. That will be the delight of our heart. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in times of trouble. In your struggles that you will go through. In your grief. I remind you again. God will not forsake you. You may feel forsaken. You may feel angry. You may feel a whole lot of emotions, and that's what happens with grief. But he is your present help. May he be your strength. May he be your hope. May he give you guidance. 
And so today, in your sadness, in all that has taken place, let us celebrate all that the Lord has accomplished through this church in your life. And may that encourage you never to look back, but to press on. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee so much for thy word. Lord, for this passage here that encourages us, but the whole of scripture is thy love letter to us, thy people, so that we would not give up, that we will know thy presence that we would glory, that we are the children of God. So, Lord, may everyone here know that presence, not just in their mind, but in their hearts, that love of Christ being shed abroad in their hearts daily. May they drink deep of thy spirit, revealing that love of Christ. Do sustain them. And Lord, when Christ shakes the nations, when he comes again, Lord, we know it will be a time of rejoicing more than what we could ever imagine. And we may not understand what is taking place now, but we will then. So, Lord, help us to walk by faith every day, trusting in thee as our God, who is sovereign and all-merciful. And we ask this in no other name, but for the honour and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.